0: Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, next on the Teen Nation, thanks for tuning in to this segment of the show. I really appreciate all your support. If you're enjoying the show, please go online to podcastmagazine.com and vote for us in their Hot 50 list. You'll see a tab to vote right there on their homepage. Stay up to date with our guest schedule by going online to nextonthetea.net. I really appreciate you. Enjoy the segment. And folks, this segment of the show is brought to you by TaylorMade and their TP5 and TP5X golf balls. High draw? Check. Low fade? Check. Bump and run? Out of the sander flop shot? Check check, and check. No matter what shot you need to pull off, there's one ball that's better than them all, and that's the new TP5 and TP5X from TaylorMade. With a newly redesigned dimple pattern that decreases drag and increases lift, it's the number one ball in golf no matter the shot. So whether you need to hit it high over the trees, under, or even through them, hit TP5 or TP5X, the one ball designed to handle it all. Check them out online by going to TaylorMadeGolf.com for more information. All right, now back is our resident director of instruction, Tom Patrick. For everyone up in the Virginia, West Virginia, or Washington, D.C. areas, go see Tom at Farmington Country Club in Charlottesville, Virginia, and become the next student that Tom coaches up to a championship level. If you can't go see him in person, download the V1 video app and send Tom videos of your golf swing. He can help get you dialed in through the app. Please check out his website, tompatry.com and give him a follow on Twitter and Instagram at TomPatrickGolf. Don't forget to subscribe to his YouTube channel, where he's got nearly 200 free playing lessons for you there. Tom is also a member of the Titleist Leadership Advisory Board, and it's always great having him with me here on Next on the T. Hey, T.P., how are you, my friend? Chrissy (laughs) boys. What's up, Tommy?
1: Chrissy, I I was having that lesson today for, let me just get to Jack. I think I said seven today. Five and an hour breaking in two. It was 96 degrees. The heat index was about 104. And and your man feels like a French <laughs> fry.
0: Without you, do. I don't know how you do it, brother. I mean, that's got to be brutal being out in the heat like that uh, for uh, six, seven, know, eight, nine hours, whatever it is.
1: It's not that bad. It's only been 41 years, Chris. It's not that bad, you know.
0: Bad. <laughs> Good for you, my friend. All right, let's get started. I want to get right into it because I want to get your thoughts on Tony Finau's big win yesterday. It's only been 1,975 days since (laughs) his first win on tour. And since that win, and we know he's got a slew of top tens in between this win and that first win, but a constant stream of questions about when is win number two going to happen? When are you going to get over that, all that sort of stuff? And that's all over now. What does this win do for him?
1: First of all, you know, we got to be fair to Tony. He Not only a bunch of top tens, Chris, but you know a couple bunch of runner ups, and you know he he blew a couple coming down the stretch. He played great in a couple coming down the stretch and got beat by a better player or or a better round of golf at the end. You know he's played some great great golf the last few years. I'm I'm, you know I don't know Tony Finau, but I'm a big Tony fan, and I nothing made me happier than him finally pulling it off. Now not only did he win a another event, but he he won a won a pretty you know pretty big event here in the playoffs and. I think that was the boost of confidence he'll need that, that will really, you know, and he, and listen, he, and he, and he did a hell of a job in the back then coming in against a great field and a, and a John Rom that was playing pretty good. So I got to believe this kind of pushes him over the, over the mountaintop and, and you'll see this happen again a lot, and a lot quicker. Number three will come to number two game. And I, but I'm, I think it was great for golf. Great. You know, so many people posted the guy. You watch him on social media. He's got so many followers and people that are just, Cheering him on, so I'm I'm pretty I'm
0: pretty stoked for him. Yeah, as am I, and you know the the smile. I love the smile. Guy's so positive, yeah, he is, and like- he's got a great smile. He just seems like a great person. Uh, Tom, I'm going to keep asking you this question as we draw closer and closer to the Ryder Cup matches. But the captains' picks are due the week following the Tour Championship, which means players currently ranked seventh and above have got two more tournaments to impress Captain Stricker. And here's the updated points totals right now, right? Here are the top six that would get automatic first. Colin Morikawa, Dustin Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau, Brooks Kepka, Justin Thomas, and Tony Finau now leaps into the top six with that win yesterday. Now, the next six, Tom, Jander Schauffele, Jordan Spieth, Harris English, Patrick Reed, Patrick Cantlay, and Daniel Berger. But there are other guys that, uh, might have a case for themselves. I mean, Jason Kokorak has won twice this year, has, has, uh, Kevin Kisner, the, both those guys, two wins. Webb Simpson, strong season, as always, great player. Scotty Scheffler, having a good season. He's played well. Um, your thoughts and even, he, I mean, he, hey, let's not forget Phil Mickelson, right? He's got a major and what, what leadership qualities he might bring. But Captain Patrick, who are the next six for you?
1: You know, I, I don't. <laughs> NJ Steve Stricker's position right now so hard. You know, so many talented people. I I, I gotta say I like Shop I like Xander a lot. Um, you know, a, a whole bunch of the way he's playing. I think he's so poised and, and so talented. And, and and certainly in these kind of situations you need you need experience, Chris. I mean, you need you need good putting, you need a guy who keeps the ball in play. Um and, and you need, and you need some experience. And, you know, Although I don't like when he drives the ball, man, I, I love, you know, I, I love good putters, right? You know, so, you know, his piece has, you know, made a definite resurgence this year. He's putted the ball beautifully all year. He's got a lot of experience. So I, I was leaning towards those two a little bit, but man, what a hard choice. And, and you know, with guys on the outside looking in, whether it's Kisner or Jason Kokrak, they're so far back. It, it, I don't know if it's a good conscience. You can leapfrog them over so many guys and throw them on the team. You know, so many guys are in the pointless Just leapfrog guys. So he's got a tough decision to make. I'll tell you one thing that I wouldn't do and I'd avoid at all costs. I, 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 the, the, the whole Brooks Bryson thing, you, you got, you got to get that thing settled before, you know, the matches start. You got, you got to have some, you know, some continuity and, and and bring those guys together a little bit. Um, and, and then, you know, we, we, our friend Patrick Reed obviously is, uh, is sitting in the hospital bed somewhere right now. Um, and, and although I'm not a Patrick Reed fan, as you know, he, he's, he's great in those situations. Um, he's kind of the Ian Poulter, if you will, of the American team. So he's got a lot to decide. He's got a lot of thinking to do there.
0: To that last point about Patrick Reed and and the fact that he's got a serious pneumonia issue that he's dealing with right now. Um, a guy that won't, probably won't not, will not have teed it up in a playoff tournament and may not tee it up again until we're ready for the Ryder Cup. Has, has the illness played himself off the list? Do you, do you risk a guy that may not have played in a tournament for three, four, five weeks? And then who knows what his strength is like and how long this hospital stay runs. But do you risk all of that and have him on the team? To your point, we all remember the putt that he made in the Rory uh, McElroy match and the waving of the finger and all of that sort of thing. And, and uh, what a great player he is usually during these kinds of events. Do you leave him off because you just don't know what you're going to get from him coming out of the hospital bed? I think, and
1: this is, I'm sure Steve doesn't think this way because Steve's too nice and, you know, Tom's not very nice. But the other, the other point too, Christy, at, do, do you want Brooks, Kepka, Bryson and Reed, who are all can be hard cases in the, in the team room or troublesome personalities. Do you want all three of them on the team? You need that much, you need that much drama in the team room. So this might be a perfect out for Steve in terms of past and can say, listen, you know, you haven't played in four or five weeks, and I just can't—you know—I can't take the chance. I need a spot for somebody who's who's strong and has been playing a lot. Um, I still go back to the thing that these personalities on this team have to kind of come together. Um, we've we've gotten our brains beat out more or less, and you know, probably in the last five, six, or eight matches, um, and there hasn't been a lot of continuity, and that's certainly something we need going into these matches. So that might be a perfect answer, Steve, right
0: now. Tom, how much of filling out the team is gut feel and the person being a good presence in the team room versus stats like shots gained putting or shots gained around the green? How much of it is being a really good guy that you know, not only is he a great player, but he's going to be a good person to have in that team room?
1: So I think, I think the real advantage that Steve has, Chris, right now is that he's still playing good golf. He still plays some PGA Tour events. He's been out on on the PJ tour enough this year, even as a Champions Tour player, to see guys up close, to, to sit down, and talk to guys, and meet with them, and, and kind of look them in the eye and, and and get a feel for what he what he's looking for, what his what in his thoughts and, and his world, what the team should you know should be and how it should be made up. Um, I think you look at all those things you just mentioned, but at the end of the day, as a guy with as much experience as Steve Stricker has. You gotta sit down quietly by yourself and, and, and you gotta, you gotta do a gut check and you gotta make the decision from your heart. Um, he, he's, he's such an experienced guy and such a great player himself. You know, I'm sure he has a pretty good idea of what he wants the team to look and feel like. Um, I think analytics aside at the end of the day, you go with your gut.
0: Tom, let's switch gears a little bit. And I know you're a titleist guy, but how do you go about keeping up with what other manufacturers are doing so that you can keep current with what's going on in the market, plus being able to compare things that maybe your students are using.
1: Greatest ball in golf? Check. Number one driver on the tour? Check. Played by the greatest players in the world? Check, check, and check. Um, you know, I I have to look at everything. Listen, whether it's TaylorMade or Ping or, you know, Cobra or, or you know, on or name anyone you want. I mean, Callaway. As, as a teacher, um, you have to be up on all those things. And yes, I am a Titleist guy and I'm a Loyal Titleist guy, but I'd be lying and I would be lying if I said that everything that comes down the pike, I don't grab it and hit it and try it. Because when people come to me and ask me questions, I have to have answers. And and am I prejudiced? I'm certainly prejudiced, no doubt about it. Am I loyal? Absolutely. But listen, different strokes for different folks. Everybody in the world doesn't fit into a titleist driver. It should, they just don't. Um, could they? Yeah, they could. But people have preferences, people have likes and dislikes. You know, those certain clubs, you know, and the other thing about a club, Chris, when you're fitting a club is the final thing I say to somebody when I fit somebody for a club is when you look down at that club, you like what you're looking at. You know, some people like the aesthetics of a tailor-made driver. Some people like the aesthetics of a Titleist driver or a Ping driver. I mean, you have to like what you're looking at. It's, it's, you got to look down at that club and say, you know, I can I can hit this club. It looks good to me. So the answer to your question is everything that comes down the pike, I hit. And that includes putters. That includes wedges. That includes irons and woods and hybrids. Um, I make sure I put my hands on everything and hit it so at least I know what I'm looking at, it, what it feels like, and what my experience has been with it. So when people ask me a question, I can, I
0: can be confident and ask and answer. So to that point, and you, and you said this a couple of times, when you look down at it, you got to like what your eyes see. Talk about how much that sort of confidence in when I'm looking at it, it's too big, it's too thin, it's too whatever, mm-hmm. right? I may hit it great, but something about it puts a seat of doubt in the back of my mind. Talk about yeah, why I mean, that's important and how you overcome that. I think it's a big deal. I don't think you overcome it. I think, I think you find something you have to like to look at. You know, I,
1: I'm I'm not going to mention any names, but there's a lot of guys on tour right now that are playing one set of irons and a different wood and a different driver and a different putter and different wedges and have a mixed bag. You know, back in the old days, Kristen, if you go back a long time ago, guys had only equipment, equipment contracts. We didn't see IBM on somebody's sleeve or, or, you know, Coca Cola on a bag or AT&T on a bag or anything like that. If you remember the first guy that ever did that and, and did it in a big way was Raymond Floyd with the AT&T bag, you know, I'm sorry. It was Bell. I'm sorry. It was Bell South bag, Bell South bag. And all of a sudden said, "Wait of these Raymond's getting paid by a corporate sponsor because he wanted to put in his bag, what he wanted to put in his bag as far as his equipment. So I'm very visual. Some people aren't, I'm extremely visual. So I have to look down at those clubs and really like what I'm looking at. And if I don't, I promise you, the fit might be perfect. The fit might be absolutely technically perfect. If I don't like what I'm looking at, I can promise you I can't hit it. I cannot hit it. You know, um, when when Titleist just changed driver generations not too long ago, the TSI, um, from the previous generation, it took me a little while to get used to the, the the new TSI. It was a little bit different shape. I didn't mind what it looked like, but it was different. And it took me a little while aesthetically to sit, look down at it and get really comfortable with it. And I have some, I have come become very comfortable with it and hit it really well. But it took me a little while. It was a little bit different shape, a little bit different depth in the head. Um, the toe was a little shorter on the club than, than the generation before. And, and it made a difference to me setting up to the golf club. Um, so those things do matter. And, and I think players are very, very picky about what they're looking at. So I think that's important.
0: And you did that with your putter, too, right? You had a putter that you used forever, and then well, Titleist well, came you, out with a, with a different putter. That had to get a little dicey, way different from what you were used to looking at before.
1: Yeah, it's funny, Chris. That's, great. That's a great story, actually. I putted with a, a ping answer, the same exact ping answer from the time I was 11 years old until uh, three years, two years ago now, just over two years ago now. And I never putted with anything but, but an answer putter. Penny answer. And I, I put a mallet, a mallet style putter in my hand one day, just messing around from another company. Just somebody, I said, try this. What do you think about this? And the, a student had handed it to me. And it was so easy to aim the mallet. It was incredibly easy to aim it, but it was a different company. And I said, I can't do that. And I went to the guys at Scotty and I said, guys, you know, I've had an experience with this kind of putter. You know, I've never done this before. What do we got that's that's similar to this that I could try. And I got a Phantom 12.5 and put it down and absolutely loved it. It was so much easier to aim. Uh, the face material was, was a lot softer than I was used to. It felt better than the ball coming off the face. And it, 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 just clicked for me. Just, it just clicked. And and I've been putting with it now for, um, just over two years. I see. I'm not a guy that changes equipment a lot, especially, uh, you know, I think the scoring clubs, you know, the wedges and the putter, you gotta be very, very careful about making big changes. So my wedge, my, my wedge specs from, from Vogue and my, and the putter, uh, and I, I've since gotten the backup for the putter. I've made sure I got two identical ones. Um, those are very important to me. They're very, very steel based, uh, very, very, very picky about those things. Yeah. So the putter change was dramatic for me, you know, age 11 to 8. You know, 59 and a half, the same putter and, and, and now goes to a totally different style putter, totally different sight line, totally different feel coming off the face. Um, but it, it clicked, it clicked. It was, it's been terrific.
0: Tom, I want to get some playing lessons from you tonight. And I want to start with something in your wheelhouse, you know, short game in particular, greenside bunker shots. I need help with that. Like, you know, I unbelievable. Can't get the ball out of the bunker and onto the green to to save my life. And for those of us who—that's all we want—get me out of the, get me out of this bunker, get me on the green, give me an opportunity to save par. Walk us through the setup and the execution of that shot.
1: You know, Chris, I think the first thing, there's a couple of basic things here about bunker play. People fear bunker shots because they don't—they don't hit very many of them. You know, we can go play. You and I can go play together, play five or six rounds of golf together. And we might go five or six rounds enough and never hit it in the bunker. And we might play the seventh round and hit it in five bunkers in the same day. But if you haven't been practicing that shot or hitting a lot of those shots and you go, you know, you go a couple of weeks without hitting one or a couple of days without hitting one even, then all of a sudden you have one on the third hole, the fifth round you're playing and you're like, Oh, I haven't been in here in a while. You know, I don't have a feel for this. So the very first thing when I talk to club members about bunker play is, you know, get in the bunker every couple of days at your practice facility and hit some bunker shots. Just, you know, let's let's just get in there and be familiar with hitting the shot. First of all, next thing is, you know, if I go back and not so long ago, because, you know, it's just one generation removed and you bought a, a sand wedge. Okay. And, you know, back in the day, the highest lofty club you could probably buy was about 55 degrees. The bounce configuration back in the day was, so, less, so much less sophisticated than it is today. And and people like Bob Bokey have taken, you know, the grinds of the club, the bounce configurations of the club, the shape of the face. Now we have loss of, you know, we can, you can go up and get a 63-degree L-wedge if you wanted to. You can hit the ball and you, you hit the ball and hit yourself in the nose with it. So the equipment has made things a lot easier. So equipment aside and repetitions aside, in terms of technique, people don't hit those shots Using the trailing edge of the club enough. They have to understand that bounce is their friend. You've got to apply the bounce to the sand, not the leading edge to the sand. So I'm a big believer in more bounce, not less bounce, uh, especially for bunker shots. I, 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 talk about, you know, getting the face open, not to add loss so much, but open the face so the, so the trailing edge of the club is your friend and skids through the sand, whereas the leading edge digs too much. Um, I think now because of the adaptation of more bounce and more loft, you know, and, and going back to the day with the 55-degree club where the bounce configuration wasn't very sophisticated, you had to do a lot of different things. You had to pick the club up more abruptly. You had to take it outside, try to cut across the ball a little bit, try to hold it off. And now because you have so much loft and, and these different these different applications of bounce that you can choose from, you can make a pretty standard golf swing and hit a bunker shot. You don't have to do crazy things because the equipment does it for you. So I think most amateurs that come to me now are trying to do too much in the bunker, trying to do it. They're way too open. They're trying to cut across the ball too much. They've got a ton of loft in their hands because they're trying to cut across with an open face with a lot of loft. The ball doesn't go anywhere. Okay, so that's one thing. Second thing is, you know, they generally try to take one inch, two inches or three inches of sand behind the golf ball. I mean, I think if you look at the poor player, they're taking a half an inch, an inch, an inch, and a half. So, you know, you get too much sand in between the club and the ball, and you, you almost can't swing hard enough when you have six degrees of, of off, and they can't advance the ball far enough. So three things control distance out of the bunker. How much loft you're applying to the shot, how much sand you're displacing, and the size of a golf swing. So the two greatest short game teachers in the world are Dr. Trial and Mr. Error. So get in your bunker at your club. Play around with how much sand you're taking. Play around with how much face you're taking, using, and the size of your swing. But here's the real key. Make a standard pitch shot swing. Make a standard pitch shot swing. Don't get radically open. You know, don't make, you know, don't try to swing across the ball so much, cut cut across the golf ball. Open the face slightly. Pick a spot behind the golf ball, an inch and a half behind the golf ball, two inches behind the ball, and make a standard pitch shot swing, and you'll be a lot more successful.
0: Tom, let's go back to, uh, to the tee and talk about driving the golf ball. And for most of us, we'll never know what it feels like to bomb it over 300 yards like the guys out on tour. I know all the talk is about distance, but for people like me, you, you might hit it 230 off the tee. Should we be looking for a driver that's going to give us an extra 10, 15 yards more of distance or one that's going to help us hit it straighter so our second shots are more from the short grass versus getting a little more distance and maybe ending up in the rough or worse in the trees? So here,
1: here's all you folks out there listening tonight to the greatest golf podcast in the world with Chris Mascaro. Hear this message loud and clear. <laughs> Equipment manufacturers are selling you distance. They're telling you they're selling you a driver, whoever they are, and if you buy their driver with this shaft in it, it's gonna go thirty yards further. Let me let me just say this real loud and clear. That is the biggest bunch of crap I've ever heard in my life. Here's what we know. Not that a driver shouldn't be properly fit to the individual. It certainly should. And you should certainly maximize the technology of the equipment you're purchasing. But the number one reason the number one reason that the ball goes further is if you hit it in the middle of the club face. Okay? The shaft is great. Head design is great. The golf ball is wonderful. But the number one fact that will make, help you hit a ball, hit a ball, your maximum distance to your individual potential is hitting the ball in the center of the face. So, please stop swinging out of your shoes. Please start, please start, stop doing your best imitation of Bryson the and make a good, balanced, tempoed swing and hit shots in the middle of the face of the club. So that's your distance component, period, end of story. Now let's talk about accuracy. It's a lot easier, folks, to play from the middle of the fairway than from the middle of the trees. If you haven't figured that out yet, you need to, you need to wrap your head around that. So for the Christmas Mascaros of the world, and by the way, for the Tom Patricks of the world, I want to hit it in the middle of the face, make a balanced motion at a great tempo, and go find my golf ball and be able to hit it on the green. And that's how I teach driving. Listen, we're not, at 62 years old, at 52 years old, you know, wherever, however you are out there as a listener, you're not going to suddenly have the Holy Grail drop down and anoint you and add 30 yards to your golf swing. It's not going to happen. And anybody that's telling you that is lying to you, okay? Can a teacher help you get in a better position, maybe more on the inside, less over the top, Help you release the couple a little better and help you find 10 yards and maybe 15. Absolutely. Absolutely. They can. If the right equipment is put in that situation with that technique, will get better? It sure will. It's not going to go 30 yards further. It's not. Don't believe it. Don't, don't drink that fluid. It's just poison.
0: <laughs> there you have it, folks. Right from the mouth of Tom Patrick. Brother, give give uh, everybody uh, another reminder about how they can stay up to date with you and all the great things you're doing. Find you uh, up there in uh, Virginia, and then uh, also follow you online and on social media.
1: First of all, that's not important. Here's what's important, folks: get on that that podcast voting table and make sure Mascaro's in the top ten next time around. That's what's important right now. Vote for Mascaro. Vote. who cares about tom patrick who
0: cares forget tom patrick don't worry about oh we can't we can't forget tom patrick tompatrick.com and at tom patrick Patrick on twitter and tom patrick golf on instagram folks he is the best and you've got uh, his youtube channel you need to subscribe to that as well get those free videos help your golf swing and uh tp you're the best my friend i love you looking forward to catching up with you again in a couple weeks Chris,
1: I can't wait to talk to you again, pal. Have a great night with Frank and all and, your and Sonny McCarron, and uh, you're the
0: best, pal. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you. Take care, Tom. That's a great Tom Patrick. Again, TomPatrick.com, P-A-T-R-I. That's the website. And then subscribe to his YouTube channel. So much great content from Tom. Also on Instagram, TomPatrickGolf. So lots of different ways to stay up to date with him and have uh, Tom help you with your golf swing and uh, lower your scores. No one does it better than TP.